If you have your Bibles, or if you'd like to look in our order of worship, we're back in the book of Malachi. And as you're turning there, just want to remind you uh, what's going on in Malachi's world and the people he was speaking uh, to. Folks, at Malachi's time, the Israelites were uh, looking for victory in war with Edom. That's why the beginning of the book starts off wondering the question, who God has honored, Edom or Israel? And God very clearly says, I love Jacob, but I hate Esau. And as a result, a lot of things were going on in Israel's time. They had uh, poverty when they were wanting wealth. They were expecting uh, better things to happen. And as a result, they were very disillusioned. They were discouraged. And they were doubting God's uh, good hand in their lives. And what Malachi's main thrust and his goal was to remind uh, the Israelites of God's covenantal love to them and their obligations to God. Often what can happen when folks are disillusioned or discouraged is they can sort of have a blind eye to themselves or, as one would say, tip their hat one way and not really see what they're unfulfilling. They request, and yet they do not have, and they're blind to what's going on in their world. So we see constantly Malachi reminding the Israelites of God's love, but also God's requirements for them. So if you have your Bibles, we're in chapter 2, verse 17, and we'll go through 3, verse 6. And Malachi has worked from the priest and their unfaithfulness and offering bad sacrifices to the people. Last week we looked at them breaking covenantal relationships and vows, specifically divorce. And now we're going to move into of what about the future and answering the people's questions. The Word of God for the people of God. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into His temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like refiner's fire and like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppress hard worker in his wages." the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your blessing would be upon this text for the preacher and for the people who hear. And may these words of yours enlighten our souls and our mind to accomplish your works accomplish your purpose in our life. And we ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what would you say is the most common verse known in the Bible today? John 3.16, I hear. 
Well, that's very true. Uh, however, if uh, we were to have, um, not Rasmussen, but the other guy who does all the polling, Barna, he were to tell you what the favorite verse is today, it's not John 3.16. Uh, he would say it's Matthew 7, verse 1. And perhaps you've heard it before. It goes like this. Judge not, lest ye be judged. It is very often used. And if you're a fan of Oprah, she quotes it quite often. It's a text that is very commonly used in today's day and age. And unfortunately, it's completely given out of context when it's often said. In other words, what people say when they say this is, I should give no judgment against any action of a person by another person. In other words, I shouldn't do anything or judge whatever's going on in their life. I should not judge the alcoholic. His disease is genetic. I should not judge the homosexual or the adulterer or the fornicator or the reviler or those who hold a different doctrine than those outside of Christ Jesus. I should not judge another religion or denomination. And I should not question the heart because if one is sincere, then that is the qualifying motive. And we know that's not what Jesus meant when He said, Judge not, yes, lest ye be judged. Because if you look at the rest of the text, it's very clear what Jesus is dealing with is not judging, but judging with hypocrisy. In other words, as He says, do you pick out the speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? The issue is not judging. And if you doubt me on that, I would encourage you to look a little farther in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 7, when He says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. When Jesus is making those statement about dogs and pigs, He is making a judgment about the character of other people. He's saying they are acting unholy. They're acting like swine. And so we should be careful to who we give our precious things to. The Apostle Paul often made judgments as well. We read just recently how he went into Ephesus. And as he went into most uh, cities, he went to the synagogue. And most times he reasoned with them for three Sabbath Sundays. And it's at that point usually that he made a judgment call. Are they going to continue to hear my message or not? Surprisingly, in the book of Ephesus, he stays three months. And they actually begged him to stay coming back. But eventually, he removed himself because he had to make a discernment, a judgment about are these people hearing the gospel or not. Why am I talking so much about judgment this morning? Well, today in our text, we see the faithful people God are making a judgment about God. They're looking at God and they're asking this question. And Malachi starts from right at the beginning. They ask this question, where is the God of justice? Where is He? God, you say you're this person, but we don't see it happening. And we see God blessing and delighting, in their eyes, evil. Where is this partiality? So why are they asking these two questions? Well, let me give you two answers or propose. First of all, their enemies were hanging around. Right at the beginning of the book, we saw the issue of the question of the Edomites. These Edomites were constantly attacking them, constantly provoking them. 
God, where is your blessing? I thought you were going to not honor them and honor us. So they asked that question. Why are our enemies remaining, God? And second, there's a huge focus on this whole book about material possessions. Look with me. Verses, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. The priests don't give the best animals for sacrifice. It makes you wonder where the best animals were going. Obviously, they were being protected and guarded. In chapter 3, the Israelites, we'll see next week, were not bringing their tithes into the church. They were holding back. And last week, we saw how they were breaking covenants with one another. They were not being faithful in their word and their business dealings. They were no longer viewing each other as family under God the Father. They were viewing each other as individuals. And I believe the reason they were so much focused on their material possessions is they were not experiencing the blessings they were hoping for. In fact, the Israelites expected God to bless them because they were His people. But they began to miss. They had a disconnect happening. They saw that their blessing should happen merely out of a relational connection and not out of a covenantal relationship where stipulations were to be fulfilled and they were expected. And as we've seen in Malachi, there was this expectation of blessing without any return of obeying God's stipulations. It's kind of like what we see here in America today. God bless America, but continue to bless us when we choose to continue to go against your ways. We in the chaplain corps are starting to deal with this. You might be uh, knowledgeable of this new act that President Obama is considering. He's considering repealing don't ask, don't tell, and allowing gays full rights in the military, where in the past that has been a complete distinction in military uh, uh, protocol and doctrine. And so those are some of the things that are going on in Malachi's day and age, and I hope you can see it has very uh, applicable parts for us in today's world. Because the great temptation for any of us is when the culture gives way is for us to go with it and to forget God's covenantal stipulations. But notice what God says. He says, I know that you're judging me without judging yourself. And so what, what does God say? I'm getting weary of it. I'm getting tired of it. Those are probably words you probably heard your parents say to you sometime. <laughs> I'm getting tired of it. And that's a gentle warning to say, this has got to stop. This has got to end. Listen to what the text said. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Now we know you can't weary God. That's physically impossible. God, God sustains Himself, but He's using a play on words so that we can understand. But you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying this, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and He delights them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Well, when we see the people asking their questions, we've got to sort of look behind these questions and ask, what presuppositions are these people holding on to? In other words, what, what, what are they believing in their minds when they're asking God these questions? And I think the first presumption is this. God does not see as I see. I see better than God. Malachi states this when he says, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. It's in other words like they're saying, 
don't you see my neighbor over here and what he's doing and how I'm trying, God? Come on, don't you take notice? He just got a new swimming pool or a new ox back in that day or whatever it might have been. But that's what's going on. And it's horribly arrogant to say to the all-seeing God, you don't see as I see. I mean, think about it. God sees what's going on completely in a person's world. He knows not only their beginning, but their end. He knows what all is going to transpire in a person's life. And it is so tempting for us to give in to that when we see injustices in the world going on. How our dear friends, Malachi's reminder to us is to remember that God is sovereignly in control. He sees. He is omnipresent. It's one of those great things I, I work with my kids on when we talk about where's God. And I say, can God see you when you're hiding under your bed? Uh, yes, Daddy. Can, can God see you in your closet? Yes, Daddy. God can see you anywhere. And then, you know, we make crazy things up where I say, what if you were at the bottom of the ocean? Could God see you there? Yes, Daddy. He could see me there. So anytime we do wrong, does God see us? Yes, Daddy. He does. And that's the thing what we forget in this text is what Malachi is saying is their eyes and their focus attention is all on these other people, but they forget to look at themselves. It's a blind eye or a tipping of our hat. And basically our job as people is to communicate these things to the Lord in prayer and leave them with Him. In other words, we entrust God to these injustices. God, we're imploring you to act, but we're going to trust you to act. We're not going to compare ourselves and say, hey, where's our fair share of the deal? Second, I judge better than God. In other words, I'm not impartial. God, you're partial. They ask, where is the God of justice? If God is so good, why are not the wicked vanquished, punished, disciplined, or even destroyed? I think we've all felt that at some time when someone wrongs us. Someone maybe cuts us off in traffic and our anger just sears up in us. And we just, ooh. Or whatever it might be. It might be that coworker at work. Or some kid that you play ball with. That's the ball hog. We have those feelings deep inside with us. And, and we ask this question. Where are you, God? Where is the God of justice? A number of years ago, I ran into a guy we'll call Wayne. And Wayne was a young believer. He was regularly going to church. He was active in the affairs of church. And he was growing in his faith. But one thing Wayne really wanted was this. He wanted to hear from God. He heard all these other people saying, I've heard from the Lord. I've heard from the Lord. And he came to me one time and he said, you know, I just want to see God. I want to see Him work. I want to, I, I want to believe in Him. I pray and I ask God to show Himself to me, but He's nowhere here. He's nowhere to be found. And I don't understand why God does this to some people, but He doesn't do this to me. In other words, where is the God of justice? He's blessing this person, not blessing me. And I said to Wayne, I said, Wayne, God's given us our Word. His Word. His revealed Will is right clearly before us. That's how He clearly speaks to you and I. We don't need to audibly hear God or feel God. God is audible right here in His Word. But Wayne wouldn't accept that. He struggled with it. And in fact, what happened is Wayne continued to grow bitter and bitter. So much so that it cost him his marriage. 
He eventually renounced the church and went his own way. And that's what can happen sometimes when we get so fixated on the God of justice, wondering where that justice is at. It doesn't mean that we can't cry out to God. It doesn't mean we can't seek God in those things, or we shouldn't do those things. We should. But it's ultimately we've got to place it in the judge's hand and trust in his character on who he is. My friend, can I ask you a question? Is there something you are unjustly accusing God of? Maybe something that's going on in your life, why something is happening and you don't understand it? And you're wondering why God hasn't acted perhaps the way you want Him to act? You see, I believe these questions Malachi is asking to the people back then are very applicable to us right now. Those are constant questions we see in life. And we wonder what God's doing from our small view. But we need to remember that God is in complete control. I like what one commentator said about this. He said, in their accusation, there is much pride in the Israelites. This pastor said, it demands that the only wise, holy, all-powerful, sovereign God of the universe come down to our level, defend himself before our petty human standards of justice. God was managing the universe quite well long before we were born. He raises nations up and brings the nations down. He imposes judgment upon individuals through the inevitable outworkings of their sin and the sin of others. Yet when something does not go the way we like, we scream, where is God and why doesn't He do something? If we are going to be His people, we need to trust in His sovereign promises. We don't dare accuse God of doing wrong. God is good. And God is good all the time. We need to remember that. And we need to speak to people of that because there's folks out there who blame God continuously for their situations. Whether it's the drunkard saying, you made me this way, or the gossip saying, I cannot help myself to share these choice stories. I just love to talk. I like what Pastor James Montgomery Boyce said, every time, every attempt to excuse ourselves, it is in the final analysis an attempt to blame God. It is saying, as Martin Luther in his lectures on Genesis accused Adam of saying, Lord God, Thou hast sinned. And that's what's going on. You see, God does not do wrong. He didn't create sin. We did. And He is at work in our lives to accomplish this. So what is God's response to these charges? And how does He speak to these people who have some wrestlings with God's justice? and yet are dealing with discouragement and disillusionment. What does God respond? Well, look with with me in chapter 3, verse 1. God's answer is, He is coming, and there will be a judgment. 3, verse 1, He says, Behold, I will send My messenger, and he will prepare the way before Me. In the book of Malachi, this is the second time Malachi has used the word behold. The first time was in chapter 2, verse 3. And when that word is used, that's like highlight back in, the, uh, back in their day and time. It's like underline, bold, what we like to do with Microsoft Word so someone doesn't miss what we want to communicate. This is what he's saying. Behold, my messenger is coming. And it's very clear that the person he is talking about, this messenger, is John the Baptist. Notice the play on the words too. When he says, my messenger, that's the same 
words in the Hebrew for, the he- for Malachi's name. My messenger. And he's making a play here. And he's referring to John the Baptist. In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 35, 3 and 5, we hear this. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low. And let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. You see, the imagery is really clear. And we don't quite understand this in our day and age, but back at that time, when a king came into town, there was someone who came before him, a heralder, the one who would say, here comes the king. And people got ready. Uh, my kids love to watch the movie The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and the kids walk into the camp, Aslan's camp. And if you remember the scene, they come up to the tent where Aslan is residing. But before Aslan comes out, the senator comes out and everybody knows he's telling them to get ready and bow because the king is about ready to come out. And Peter, Lucy, uh, Edmund, and I'm forgetting the last person's name. Thank you, Lucy, Susan. They all come out and they're sort of wondering, but thankfully they're English. And the English know when the king comes out, you bow. Now I wonder if Americans would have gotten that one. That's what John the Baptist is here to come. The messenger is supposed to come. And John knew his message. He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. So where is the God of justice, Malachi saying? Well, He's coming. And you will begin to see the messenger. He is about ready to show His face. Prepare yourselves. And dear friends, think about this. These were the last words of God in the Old Testament before the arrival of John the Baptist. This was, there was almost 400 years of silence. We are sort of in a season of silence in the sense that, yes, the, the book has been fulfilled. We have our Bible before us, but Jesus says, I will return. And it's our job as people to always, as Christians, have that on our mind. He says He will come like a thief in the night. But there are warnings to us as the collective church to be prepared, to be ready. And here... Again, is Malachi saying to his church, be ready. First the messenger will come, and then next, you see it next, the messenger of the covenant. Did you catch that? Suddenly the Lord in whom you seek, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming. And obviously we can look from from 2,400 years in the future looking back, we can see that person was clearly the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and notice, though, uh, I want you to see something that we don't quite get here in the English, but it's, it's in the Hebrew. When he says, the messenger, the Lord in whom you seek, better way to translate is in, in whom you claim to desire. You get that? Malachi's sort of putting a little barb there. In whom you claim to desire. Well, He's coming. And as these people look for a deliverer from their present political situation, God instead provided a redeemer from their greatest need, their rebellion of God. Not only would this be a redeemer, but this would be God Himself. 
As John said of Jesus, after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. And later he would say at his baptism, this is the Son of God. You see, the messenger of covenant was the promised one. And in fact, when Malachi is saying this, he's saying this to disillusioned people who have sort of lost their hope. And he's reminding them, dear friends, don't give up on hope. This same God who promised back in Genesis 3.15, who said to Eve that one day you're going to have a son, and when that son comes forth, he is going to smash the head of that serpent. He's going to do it. And Malachi says, even after all these reminders that have happened in the Old Testament by Isaiah and Jeremiah and on down through the age that Jesus is coming, Malachi's words are, hey, get ready. I'm the last person to testify. He is about ready to come. But before he comes, Malachi has one thing he wants to say to his people and to do his job as my messenger He wants to remind these people who are sort of a little self-righteous in themselves. He says these words, Who can endure His coming? Who can endure it? It's sort of a reminder that who this person really is that's about ready to come on the scene. It's a reminder to us when Jesus comes back, it says the heavens will flood open and we will see Him return. And everybody else is going to be given to fear They'll be running. But what makes us able to endure His coming is the Spirit of God within us. Preparing, longing for that day. You see, throughout the history of Israel, Messiah was promising. God sent His prophets to tell them that He was coming. And it was to get the people ready. And so great was His presence. Malachi reminds them that that He's coming. Who can stand? And that whole idea of who can stand is, the, is a military idea. When armies at those times would gather, they would gather as one line and they would stand together as a show of force to the opposing army. And so that they would know, hey, we come to do battle. And so they sort of size each other up. Malachi is saying, when you see him come, it just takes one of him and it doesn't matter who, how many you have. You can bring everybody in the whole house. But who can endure His coming? That is a great reminder to us as the people of God to not forget our covenantal obligations. Malachi is speaking a word of love to these people and he's wanting them to purify themselves, to get ready for this Lord that's about ready to come. You see, when Jesus comes, Malachi says this, He'll be two things. He'll be refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Did you catch that? The refiner's fire is the idea of scorching heat. It is intense heat, but it's meant to purify. It's a good thing. Secondly, he says he's like fuller's soap. And and the fuller's soap was an agent that would be applied to a stain to remove the dirt, discolor, or even disease that might be on the cloth so that it would be stainless. Jeremiah said it this way in chapter 2, verse 22, Although you wash yourself with lye and much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me. But we go on to hear that it is Jesus, Jeremiah said in chapter 1, who takes our scarlet sins away. He is the fuller's soap. He is the refiner's fire to the church because He wants to purify some people 
some people who would be pure worshipers of God. And notice what Malachi, just as I said, he brings it on down. So I will purify the sons of Levi. Again, it goes back to the focus of the priests that he talked about earlier in the book. These people who are supposed to be teaching and supposed to guard instruction, who are supposed to help the people bring in sacrifices that were pleasing to God, and they had missed their role. What Jesus says, or what Malachi says, when, when the messenger of covenant comes, he is going to work in the leaders of the church so that they can help the people to purify them so that they can bring in the offerings that God desires and God wants. You see, these are the offerings that the Lord wants. Offerings that are pleasing. In other words, what He wants is He wants worship. He wants worship of Himself. Worship that is pure and glorious. The kind that brings Him great honor and great glory. And notice, it will be like the days of old because it will be as God wants it to be. Whenever we do worship... Our great temptation of man is to always think of worship on how we think it would be pleasing to God. But our reformers, the people who we're celebrating today on Reformation Day, they said, no, no, no. Worship is done best when it is the way God wants it to be done. Where the preaching of the Word, where the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, where the sacraments are giving uh, daily, I mean, I'm sorry, during the worship time. Those are things that God wants. He wants those pleasing. Not where we invent ideas and we come up with creative ideas that are outside His Word. It's what some call the regulative principle. It's the principle we do worship the way God wants to do worship. Well, why does Malachi tell us these things? Well, he also has a message for some other folks. And these are the covenant breakers. He's, he's telling the people... The people who are faithful to God, this God of justice is coming and He's going to judge and He's going to refine us and He's going to purify the Levites and He's going to bring in the worship of old. But like anything, that's the message to the church, but there's also a pervading message to warn those who are outside the walls of the church. And it was in verses 5 and 6. He has a witness against the covenant breakers. Notice who he points out. Sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, and oppressors. You see, the sorcerers were those who would seek to use their power to manipulate God's natural order into the effect that they wanted. Adulterers were those who would break covenant to enjoy false pleasures that were not theirs to possess. Perjurers were those who would take advantage of others for their own gain and nullify the covenant requirements to love their neighbor. And oppressors were those who would, who would, who would use their means to take from the powerless, whether from the servant, Malachi says, or from the widow, or from the orphan, or from the alien, or the stranger. Malachi lists these sins because he's listing the sins of people who doubt God's justice. You see, the sorcerer manipulates the, the nature of the world in order to bring the respect they deserve or they want. Sorcery is all about power. Adultery is looking elsewhere because he or she has not been given justly what God wants in their spouse. So they're going to find that, that gold met somewhere else. The perjurer lies so that he, will get, he or she will get what he deserves. And the oppressor is the same, but instead of lying, he or she just takes sort of the bully in the playground. 
You see, I believe Malachi brings a reminder on this covenant warning that these people, as he says there at the end of verse 5 and 6, they have forgotten the fear of God. They have forgotten the fear of God. And what makes you and I different is that we are to be a people that fears God. We are to be a people that, that believes that there is a God of justice. And no matter how many times I'm being done wrong, one day that person is going to be held in account. And it's going to be done by a judge that is completely good, completely fair, and completely just. And he will require every bit from that person. That is comforting to the people of God. And though, unless we miss it, Notice what he concludes with. For I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. I'm the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And dear friends, I don't know what's going on in your world or the challenges that you're facing. Even right now as this church hopes for a pastor and is believing that, God, you're going to call someone. These are things that we need to remind ourselves that God is faithful to His covenant promises. He's faithful to you, and He's faithful to me. And we need to hold on to that. We need to claim that. Because that is what has given the church over the years of history the great perseverance it's needed to continue to abound and work forward and progress forward with the gospel. Because our God is faithful, and He is true to us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this text. And I thank you how Malachi perfectly, as your word communicates, to a discouraged, disillusioned group of people who sort of was tipping their hats to their own sin and giving in to the ways, was forgetting their covenantal requirements. Yet he perfectly reminds them of God's love, your plan, and your purpose that you are the faithful God, and you're moving all of history to that one glorious day when Christ returns. Lord, as we, we as your people look forward to that day, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.